Welcome to the Round Pegs Square Holes podcast, hosted by myself, Sebastian Bates, and Timothy Fair Matthews. A podcast made by entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs. We're launching our podcast with a series of raw but real interviews with some of the world's leading business mentors, industry experts, and entrepreneurs with incredible stories. Our goal is to inspire, educate, and entertain. So if it's your first time joining us, make sure you go back to episode one and don't miss a thing as you listen to incredible insights from our speakers. This is the Round Pegs Square Holes podcast. Hello guys and welcome to today's live interview. I'm here with Nick Bradley, who is a business coach and scale-up specialist. Um, just to give you a bit of a, a very, very brief background on Nick, and some of, this, some of these uh, stats may blow your mind, um, but he's enabled 22 business acquisitions. He's completed over $5.3 billion in deals across eight business sectors in 11 countries, but he's also completed 67 marathons and 24 ultra marathons worldwide. He's got a number one podcast in the world with over 100,000 downloads in the first 12 months of launching. And he's had guests on his podcast like uh, Neil Patel and David Meltzer. Um, amazing to have you here, Nick. Thank you so much for coming on. Hey, it's awesome to be here, Seb. Thank you very much for having me. And how has your week been so far? Well, considering it's Monday for me, yeah. <laughs> it's busy already. It's busy already. But I think you know, that's um, symptomatic of kind of all the stuff that's going on with COVID in the world these days and people are starting to get restless about their businesses, needing more help, um, needing more advice around things. So, yeah, it's been cool. Are you starting to see things pick up a bit since, you know, things are sort of normalising slightly? Yeah, I'm just seeing people start to be more confident with what they were thinking about with their businesses, where there was a point of, I suppose, people kind of getting overwhelmed and having the kind of fear and uncertainty that you expect when something like a, a global pandemic hits. Uh, that's starting to lift now because people are starting to realise they can't sort of sit in hibernation and expect things to change. So they're starting to get in contact with us now to start talking about their strategy and how they can start to drive growth much faster. Yeah, totally, totally. So, um, so I mean, looking at this, looking at this bio, I've spoken to a few people about it today, and I, I know there's a lot of excited people to hear, to hear not just about the ultra marathons, <laughs> but also, you know, how, how you, how you, how does someone get to that stage where they're completing over five point three billion dollars in deals? And um, could you, could you take us back to the young, the young Nick growing up as a young, a young Nick? What was life like? Yeah. Okay. So I'll go back a bit actually, because I, I grew up in a little place called Adelaide, South Australia. And um, I kid you not, it's famous for about two or three things. One of them is big sharks. The other one is churches. And then the last one is serial killers. Um, I've got no personal... And, did you, and you, didn't, you didn't fit the bill for any of those, really? I don't fit any of that. I used to surf a lot. So I probably got close to the sharks a couple of times. So that's about it. Um, and yeah, so I, I kind of, you know, I grew up there and I started my first business when I was 18, which was a, a sort of fitness personal training business. And this is back in sort of early 90s when personal training wasn't even a thing back then. It was something like only really rich people could get access to. So started that business, uh, sold that business when I was 22 and I moved to Sydney and I used to work um, for Men's Health magazine and kind of got into the Rupert Murdoch empire, which we'll kind of get into a little bit later today, of course, um, and worked my way into the world of corporate in sort of magazines and that. And then I met, got to move to the UK as part of that. And I spent sort of 15, 20 years um, working in sort of global media businesses, uh, doing lots of M&A, lots of kind of strategic growth and all that sort of thing. So it's been a, quite a ride and uh, really good fun. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds amazing. So something that's, that stuck out to me then was you sold your first business at 22. Could you, could you tell us a little bit about that? Because that obviously was the, was the, was the first of many business sales, right? Yeah, well, it's funny because I started that business. There's a little bit of a pre-story, which I'll give you. And I was, as a youngster, I was incredibly overweight. In fact, what I look like now, the weight I am now, I was something like 20 kilograms heavier when I was in my sort of late sort of 9, 10 sort of years. So I had to go through this pretty big sort of transformation um, in my earlier days. And part of that was obviously all around health and fitness. And the two things really to kind of take away from that story, one is, 
transforming yourself at any time in your life is a big thing, right? You've got to kind of get right down into the grid of who you are and kind of work on what you want and take action, make it happen. And I did that. And then I sort of thought, well, actually, I'm so um, passionate about the health and fitness industry. I'm going to just go and start something because I felt like I was bulletproof. So I started this business, ended up having um, about 30 odd clients. I was doing about sort of 30 to 40 hours of personal training per week. I employed three staff. And I sold that business to a mate of mine, literally for a bit of money, nothing, nothing crazy, but enough for me to then pack up and move to Sydney and kind of get into a bigger, a bigger pond, so to speak. Right. So, yeah, that was the backstory of that. It was uh, good fun. Yeah, definitely. Really interesting. And um, so, so that, so that move, how old were you when you, when you were 22 when you made that move, right? Yeah, 22. I went there with a little bit of cash, not heaps. I mean, at the end of the day, I wasn't probably as commercial around that sort of stuff as I am now. I just kind of wanted to get over there as a youngster and sort of play in that game. But yeah, I, I ended up uh, through, through networks and connections. So one of my personal training clients uh, happens to be good mates with Rupert Murdoch, strangely. And uh, that managed to get me a, a meeting with um, a guy called Matt Hambury, which was like this uber wealthy dude in Sydney. And that was my kind of foray into the world of publishing. Okay, cool. Okay, so you, so you networked through your clients. I did. To, to, build, to build your network and, and to and kind of to sort of tap into a whole different audience, really. And, and yeah. that's when things started to change for you slightly. Yeah, the whole, you know, if I look back, it's funny when you reflect on these things, like, you know, people say your, um, your network is your net worth. And that's been true for me all through my career. All opportunities that have presented themselves have been through connections and being, being kind of true and, and authentic in those kind of connections with people. Yeah. And if I look back serendipitously, all the different doors that have opened have been by being able to step into those type of networks and being able to use them effectively. Yeah, you hear that so often. I mean, when you when you when you were when you were you know building these connections, you were out there giving value, right? So it wasn't like you were taking; you were giving. Oh yeah, it was all about that. I mean, if I think about it in hindsight, it was the introductions that I got, particularly in that kind of first few years of moving into that sort of world of corporate and, and bigger business were because I'd added so much value for three or four years before that to people kind of in their personal lives. So they felt that they wanted to do the same back to me. So that's a great life lesson that just anyway, I think. Yeah. I mean, I mean there, there's almost like a hidden ROI to going above and beyond sometimes. You know, yeah. Like, I think sometimes people focus on the wrong thing. I think people focus on the wrong thing. Sometimes they focus on the fact that it's about me and it's about what I can get. And the problem is that when you show up like that, it's very obvious to everyone else and no one likes to be around that. So if you genuinely show up in a state of contribution, like I'm here to make, make a difference to you, to help you, it's amazing how that reciprocates in different ways. Yeah, definitely. And, and I suppose it's, it's like delaying that, that instant gratification, isn't it? You don't, it's not necessarily about getting what you want straight away. There's a, you know, there, there's, there's a process. And if you can have a long-term view of these things, you know, ultimately you will benefit from, you know, down the line eventually. Yeah. And it does take a little bit of confidence to be able to believe that. And I think some people kind of miss it because what's that famous saying said where, you know, you plant the tree, you don't expect to see. So you plant the seed, you don't expect to see the tree the next day. It can take, you yeah, know, diligent yeah. watering and sun and all that crazy stuff. But you know, it's so true because like a lot of the stuff that's happened when we kind of get into kind of the, um, I suppose the acquisitions, the M&A side of things, they've been longer term partnerships that have taken time to grow. But once they've grown, they've grown really quickly and they've been transformational. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I mean, I look back probably on a smaller scale at some of the, some of the relationships, you know, that I've, that I've got business relationships now and they, they've, they've stemmed from conversations five to eight years to 10 years ago. Do you know what I mean? And it's, yeah. And it's, it's only much later on down the line where, you know, you, you obviously know, like, and trust someone, you've got a deeper insight into their character, what they're like, their values. And, and yeah, there's that, there's that deeper connection, isn't there? There is. And yeah, they, they, like people buy from people they like, right? It's always been like that. And um, therefore, if you kind of, if you think it's anything different than that, <laughs> then yeah. you kind of miss out. So, you, you know, I, I have a policy about just not being a dick or, or even working with people. <laughs> Sorry for the like language, we'll, you know. It's, we'll, it turn, we'll, turn, we'll turn that into a quote picture. Like <laughs> you, know, you, know we're big, you know we're big on repurposing content here. so. Uh... I know you are. I know anything I say here is going to end up on TikTok in about five seconds' time. So, yeah. <laughs> it's already on TikTok. What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, okay, cool. So what was the next step? So, so guide me along this journey after this. Yeah, so, so I landed in Sydney and I was, you know, as I said to you, bulletproof is a pretty um, apt expression of what I felt like because mm. I kind of transformed myself into being kind of super fit. I'd started a personal training business that was successful. 
And I kind of thought nothing could fail, really. So I kind of got into the world of corporate, and I was pretty arrogant and aggressive with my whole kind of early career. And this is there's a massive pivot I'll get to later on. But basically, I kind of went into the world of corporate. I was board director of a, of a large company before I was 30. I uh, got the opportunity to move to the UK, came over here, did the same thing, ended up being a regional board director. Um, then I moved to New York for a year, worked for a company called Getty Images, and I ran one of their business units, which was uh, just under $100 million in revenue, and came back to the UK, and then I ended up kind of working in the world of private equity as a, as a chief exec and a, a guy who was known for going into businesses that weren't performing and uh, turning them around. But I'll go back a step because, as I said, when I was going through that early career piece and I said I was quite arrogant and not a very nice person to be around, back to what we sort of started talking around about contribution and helping others, back then for me it was very much like, you know, all about me, about how much money I could make, what sort of car I could drive, you know, size of house, all about being, you know, significant, having a, a reputation for being this kind of big hitter. Yeah. And uh, I found that after a while, that started to kind of really make me super stressed. And I wasn't a very nice person to be around at home, the family and all those sort of things. So I ended up going through um, a bit of a kind of turning point, And that sort of pivoted me towards a lot of the stuff that I do now. So you, 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 know, you, you weren't too keen on the personality that you, were, you know, that you had, that you were showing at that time. You, were kind of, you, you kind of grew into this person, probably because of the amount of pressure and stress put on you in the first place. But you, it was a side of you you weren't too keen on and you wanted to make a change. What yep. was that? You know, you mentioned there was a turning point. Was there one sort of pivotal moment where you kind of realized you wanted to make a change? Well, I kept getting sacked. <laughs> you kept getting sacked? <laughs> <laughs> so, well, I, 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 I embellish a little bit. I embellish a bit. Of it. it wasn't, there's a point, I think, in every entrepreneur's life yeah. where, and some people get it really early, where they realize that they're unemployable. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And you just don't want to put up with crap all the time or you're sitting around a, t a room full of people who the, the whole agenda is nothing to do with where the company can go. Yeah. And uh, I kind of got to that space uh, at a point in my career where I thought, you know what, I can't do this anymore. But what happened at the same time, Steve, was interesting. So I was doing a big deal um, in one of my corporate kind of roles. And I started to get really, really stressed about the deal because I just didn't feel like it was me. It didn't feel congruent with my values or any of my beliefs. And I remember going to bed one evening. And I, I wasn't feeling great. I was stressed. I was not being a great um, uh, dad for my two girls, all that sort of stuff. And I went to sleep. And I remember waking up at 3 in the morning, and literally the whole side of my face was swollen and, like, throbbing with pain. It was like I'd been smashed, like, literally punched in the face. And I kind of, I couldn't get back to sleep. And I, I went to the doctor in the morning and he said, listen, you've got to go to the dentist because what you've done is it looks like you've cracked all the teeth in the right side of your jaw. Wow. And I went to the dentist and they said I had. What had happened is I went to sleep and for about five hours, I literally must have clenched so tight that I'd broken some of the teeth towards the back here. From stress? From stress. God. Yeah. That's a weird yeah. call, isn't it? Oh, man, it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah, like, it wasn't awesome at the time. Yeah. But everything changed. And, yeah. and what I did is that I'd made some money and all those sort of things, but, but I wasn't really happy in what I was doing. So my wife said to me, she was super supportive. She said, listen, you've got to change this. You, you need to find who you are again because you've lost who you are. So I called up a mate, and he's a guy who retired in his late 20s. He sold his company for $60 million. And he was, yeah, yeah, really. He was a, one of the first investors in Love Film, which is now Amazon Prime. Oh, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, and but he was always a bit, of a, a bit of a crazy dude at university. He was this guy that like never came out drinking and playing pool with us, mm. and was always a little bit kind of out there into personal development and all this sort of stuff. Oh, really? Ben, yeah, and the long run. he was—he was—he was busy planting the seeds while, while everyone else was. But this is what he did, right? So this is this is the piece, right? So he said to me, yeah. he said, "You know what? You said get yourself to a Tony Robbins event." And I was like, "I'm not doing that. Like that's just crazy crap. I'm not doing that at all." But, like, you know, when a guy who's retired and lives on a Greek island says that, so you kind of think, well, actually, perhaps there's some points behind this. And I'd read some of his books and I had done a bit of personal development around mindset and things before. Yeah. But, again, long story short, I, I looked at when the next event was on. It was about three weeks away from my, my teeth incident in Chicago. Yeah. Uh, my wife said, get on a plane. And I went there and literally for three or four days, I went through this kind of, like, reflecting on all the decisions I'd made in my corporate career 
realized that actually I was really just a frustrated entrepreneur back in my sort of late teens, early 20s, and realized that I needed to take all the skills and all the things that I'd learned through private equity and selling businesses and doing deals and take that into my own world and try and help people more with that as opposed to just being about me or just trying to make cash. Yeah. Wow. Right. So, so look, looking back at that very difficult, painful moment, you know, do you feel a sense of gratitude for for, for that? I, I mean, everything. I, I've got a really strange um, epiphany that happened, like that I'm super, super excited about and, and grateful for, which is Jeez. certain things in life happen to you and at the time you think they're terrible, but actually they serve you ultimately depending on the perspective. And I had a number of different points before the teeth thing happened over the course of maybe five years that were all pointing me in a certain direction, like I was off path. And all I needed to do was trust the fact that I needed to um, trust myself and then get back on a path. And that's what I did. And that's a few years ago now, but I'll tell you what, the difference between who I was and who I am now and what I'm contributing to the world and all those sort of things and also to myself, my family is, is totally different. Amazing. That's really cool. I know, I know, I know a lot of people here really enjoy Tony's stuff. You know, it's, it's, it's very, it's very loud and it's very, it's a bit clappy and, um, and well, how else can you explain it? Um, <laughs> yeah. I used to say it's very American, but then all of my yeah, American it's very American, but very you know, American might, there's probably quite a few Americans watching this, Nick, and now they're just right. tuning off. So, uh, <laughs> oh, I love America. Everyone knows that. Love, love all of my American friends and, and colleagues. Love, love you all. That's it. No, but it is. It is. It is, isn't it? And um, and you know, but he's got a lot. There's a, there's a lot of people who have had some really pivotal mo- pivotal moments. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, from, me, from his from his workshops, from his events. It was one thing, right? And and I think I think there's a certain theatre, right, that happens when you go to one of these events that you don't get if you read a book or watch a video. And that's all part about states, you know, the certain yeah. sort of emotional states that you're in. But the thing for me was this, right? Is I realised that a lot of the decisions that I made up until the point were based on trying to be sort of more significant in the world. So in other words, letting other people kind of see that I was the man for for various reasons. And also driven by fear as opposed to anything else. So I needed to have this comfortable corporate job that wasn't serving me and actually wasn't allowing me to express kind of who I wanted to be. And I didn't quite realize that at the time. And the only thing that was stopping me kind of breaking out of that was just how I felt about the situation. So I needed to change that. And once I changed my thinking around that, then everything else opened up. So this moment of, you know, introspective enlightenment really set you on a path to become an entrepreneur. Yeah. And, and it's funny, I, I, as I said, I was always probably a frustrated entrepreneur in my corporate world anyway. And yeah. I was doing you, some you, really you amazing. Were getting, you were getting fired too much in your early 20s. And you were, the, you were the sort of guy when someone said, you're fired, you were like, you can't fire me. I quit. <laughs> that, that, that has been said. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm my own boss. I don't need you. No, exactly. And, 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 you know, the thing was, though, it sounds really arrogant, right? And people probably listen to this saying, listen to this guy, like, you know, how bad was his life when he had, you know, Fortune the Drive and, and, you know, Million Buck House and all that. Okay, woe is Nick. But there is a point here where, like, you know, money money's important and we know we're going to talk about empires and things like that, but it's only important if you're kind of really making a bigger contribution in the world. Yeah. Um, and, and I wasn't doing that. So I wanted to have both. I wanted to have wealth, freedom, all the things I wanted to do, and I also wanted to make a bigger impact. And that's, yeah. that's the change. That's the transition. I guess that happiness comes from, you know, living closest to your values. Yeah. And, and, and understanding and it, it what sounds like you, you were pursuing, you were maybe pursuing the things that you thought were your values, but in actual fact, it was more about contribution and, and impact, right? Yeah. And, and, and the other thing that happened over the time was um, so my father uh, left our family when I was about two or three and my parents got divorced and he didn't come back into my life until my early 30s. Right. And like like what happens sometimes when, when families break up, there's a bit of character assassination that happens. And so I was hanging out with sort of my mom and all that. And of course, my dad was the devil incarnate. And I didn't have any anything to judge that by. So when he came back into my life in my 30s, I found out that he was a really successful entrepreneur. He had um, started a number of businesses. In fact, he started a few businesses in his 30s, which were in Melbourne, Australia. And there was a Turkish bombing, the consulate bombing. And he lost uh, one of his businesses because it was a, a gold and jewelry retail business that was right next to the consulate. And there was no um, insurance at all for uh, this terrorist attack. 
Wow. So, so he went broke right. in his like late 30s, early 40s, started another business and then ended up being a millionaire from his second business from a full pivot out of this massive place of adversity. Yeah. So I kind of met him and then I thought, well, perhaps, perhaps this is why I'm thinking like I am as well because a lot of what was in him was in me and I was repressing it, whereas I should just kind of enable it and let it happen. Wow. Really? So, so, when, you, so when, your, when your dad stepped back into your life, that was almost like a second moment for you where you had another, another sort of pivotal moment, right? Yeah, it was it, all of these different, um, I suppose, lessons or, or, or insights were coming in at various times. Yeah. And, and the other part of the story is, so he came back into my life and then um, I was doing all the running and marathons and stuff. And we only had, we had really one intense kind of holiday where we went together and he was crewing me in this 100-kilometer race in Vermont in the U.S., and uh, so I did that. It was really great. We had this amazing time in sort of Boston and Cape Cod. Said goodbye. And then the next time I saw him was um, nine months later, the day before he died of cancer. Really? And so he came back into my life quickly. We had this amazing experience. I kind of got a lot of sort of, was, at that point it was confusing for me, but it kind of was quite clarity now. And then he left, he left once he gave me the gift of understanding who I needed to become. So it was pretty powerful. Wow. This sounds like something from a movie, having, having such, a, <laughs> such, such an incredible experience like that. Yeah, it, it, it does when you hear it the first time, but it's like, yeah. it, like, you know, when you look back in hindsight, you kind of see yeah. patterns. Well, this is what I always say. You can, you, know, you can never, you know, it's, it's only when you look back, you can join up the dots. Do you know what I mean? And, and if, you, if we, you know, just, just, just speaking to you and learning more about your, I know we, we've talked many times before, but never, never gone into your background this much. But no. when, when you kind of look back at all the different things that you've been through in your life, and, you know, you, you step back to those, to those very, very pivotal turn, turning points and you go back all the way to when you were much, much younger and you were, you know, you were overweight and you went through this process of, of losing weight and, and understanding the importance of pushing yourself when you're uncomfortable, which led you into ultra marathons and all these other things, right? Yeah. How, how, how vital that it was that you were overweight in that moment in order to become the person you needed to become in order to get through these different things. You should learn those character traits, right? You know, and, and, and like, you know, my identity now is very much around health and fitness because, you know, I, I had to make that change. Once I made that change, it gave me the grit and the belief that I could do anything. And I, I hadn't really lost that. I just wasn't focusing my energy um, and, and, and everything that I wanted in the right areas. Yeah. But right, a lot of things that happen in your life, they serve you if you look at them that way. At the time, they don't feel like it, but they massively do if you kind of put some perspective around it. Yeah, definitely. So, so, so now we are, you're, you're in your sort of early 30s, you've been through this other moment, and now you're getting into this stage. T tell, us, tell us what happened next. Yeah, so around the time I started working in the world of private equity, I'm now in my mid-40s, so we're sort of like, you know, I've been sort of in the private equity world for over a decade now. And private equity is an interesting way because it's, it's for people who don't understand that, it's, it's where you have um, high, high net worth investors effectively putting money into a fund where there are other people who go and buy businesses that are undervalued, under leveraged, and they will try and transform those businesses, they will grow those businesses, sometimes bolt them together with other businesses to get a demonstrable impact and value. So you can make a lot of money from private equity. And the problem with private equity is kind of, it's a little bit of that bad rap of building gecko and hedge funds and, and all that. And to be frank, the culture of it can be like that, changing a lot. But certainly when I was in a decade ago, it was very bullish, you know, really aggressive micro stuff going on. And I quite like that at the time because that's where my, my mindset, my headspace was, particularly around me trying to be significant. And then there was a point where I thought, you know what, I don't really want to play in this world in the same way. Um, so, so I did that for a while and then, and then I sort of transitioned into what I do now, which effectively is the same sort of thing. But at this time, I, I tend to side on the side of the entrepreneur and the business leader. And I'm on their side trying to create value and scale in their businesses. So, so, so right now, I mean, scale specialist, can you, can you give us an example of um, some projects you've worked, you've worked on in the last few years? Yeah, I can, I can talk yeah, to a few. There's, there's a couple of huge ones there where... I'll get brought in by, uh, let's say, an entrepreneur, sometimes by the investors themselves. And the whole, the whole premise really is, is the business growing as fast as it possibly can? Has it got the right intangibles in place for it to be effective? 
And so um, one of the biggest ones we were involved in over the last sort of three, four years was a, a business um, based in the, U- in the US that had a UK subsidiary. And I went in there and, um, and managed to kind of take some costs out, but also increase the commercial flow. So we had something like, um, what was it, the, the highest highest sales month in the company's 27-year history, which we, we created within four months of being in that business. And that was really about being clear on the proposition and fixing some of the kind of ways that they went to market with sales and marketing and just being really intentional. But, but the difference that makes in value, Seb, yeah. something like that is huge. I mean, I mean, that's, you, you know, when you, when, you, when you look at paying for, for quality advice, right, and, you, and it's, it's like, it's, incre- it's incredible how just the right, the right advice at the right time can just make that much of a change. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, the way, the way I describe it is there's, there's, there's a number of different things that really fast growth companies have that the kind of like attributes, characteristics. And it's funny, when I, when I go through them now, you kind of go, oh, yeah, that's so obvious, that's so obvious. But it's amazing how many yeah. businesses, for whatever reason, don't have them. So, so, so is, it, is it worth us going to this after we dissect, you know, what, what an empire is? Or should we, should we go into it now? Uh, let, let's go into empire, because I think everyone asks me the question, what the hell is an empire? <laughs> so, 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 yeah, what, <laughs> what the when, when, when I think of empire, I think of something like Virgin or Coca-Cola or Apple or Amazon or a, a, an organization with, which kind of has multiple streams of income across multiple countries around the world. Um, and it's their brand. Is, is, am I on the right track? Yeah, I mean, that is one, one, I suppose, definition of it or one example of it. So if you take something like Virgin and Branson, he has created an empire of multiple businesses, multiple streams of income, multiple customer niches across multiple geographies. So that sort of thing is absolutely one. If you look at um, Bezos and Amazon, exactly the same thing. But an, an empire doesn't have to be always that big. So, you know, one of my um, goals that we're working, to, working with in our company at the moment is to create our own empire of multiple businesses. So I've got seven companies at the moment, 10 streams of income, and we want to get that up to 20 in the next three years. And the goal over the next five years is to have that, you know, enterprise value of, in, of in sort of hundreds of millions. Now, okay, so, so, so with, within that, is it exactly the same team who are involved in every single business? No, no, you, you have, what I say is you have the strategy piece and the investment piece at the core. Right. And the operational piece is closer than the business units or the businesses themselves. So, in, so there's kind of like a central HQ business, which, which, which basically owns shares in all of these different businesses. And yep. within that central business, you know, it's, it's where the investors and the, and the strategy comes from. That's right. If you want to have if you want to have multiple streams of multiple streams of income from having multiple business investments, you can't effectively let's say let's say you're the person kind of as the owner, right? The owner investor, you haven't got the capacity to be able to be operational in any of those businesses. So you want to have a really strong person in the business, a general manager or a COO or whatever you want to call it, an MD, and you want to be able to manage those businesses using dashboard spreadsheets and, and creating the strategy in what we call a ninety day cadence. So you can dip in and dip out, but you've got really good operational teams in the business delivering the strategies and the plans. Yeah. But, you know, back, back to your definition so people are clear. You know, an empire can be one business that's got scale. So it can be you could have one business that's got massive scale, a little bit like the Virgin Empire, but even just having a business which is massive. It can be multiple businesses, multiple streams of income. The definition really is one where there is more scale and more complexity but there is definitely more upside and excitement depending on how you look at it. Yeah. So, so in, in the way that you, when you first go about doing this, when you're, when you're looking to, to grow your empire in the early, the early kind of stages, you've probably got a bit of experience in, in growing your own business. You, you, you're probably in that position where you know what it takes to run a successful business, and now you want to expand and have multiple businesses. Do you typically look for something that is, that is very similar to your, to your initial business, or do you just say, look, I can apply this strategy to another to another field or a completely other industry. Yeah, it's a great it's a great question, and I'll, I'll kind of answer it by going back a step and then jumping forward. So, sure. f- first thing to say is uh, is being an empire builder, being someone who wants to create an empire, is not for everybody. So, so that's the first thing. So there'll be people listening to this to go, oh, that sounds really fun, that sounds great, but you've really got to want to do it. 
because it, it can be a ball's ache as well. <laughs> so I, I, I can imagine a lot of people listening oh, yeah. to saying, this sounds like a nightmare. I've had enough of right? this industry as it is, let alone got, another few. You've got to be passionate about kind of, you know, making a bigger impact, first and foremost. Yeah. You've got to have broad shoulders, right, to be able to deal with all the kind of ups and downs. And you've got to like solving complex problems. Yeah. Right? Because otherwise, if just you're, have if you're wondering if you've got the characters to do it, then just 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 sign up to an ultra marathon, and uh, and, and uh, yeah, yeah. should give you an insight. You do have to have something going on up here, probably. Yeah. But you know what? It's massively exciting. It's massively yeah. exciting because, as I said, you know, some of the, it depends what your view of the world is, right? I get really passionate about solving big problems, right? Making a bigger impact, and I just think you can do that really effectively when you have more scale. And and creating an empire is kind of there's no choice for me. Right, that's what I want to do, and, and that's it. And that's that's the thing you've got to ask first before you get into it. But to your question, the, the first thing I always say to people is you you start with a focus on one thing. So first and foremost, have a business that is successful in its own right before you even entertain the idea of going empire. And the reason for that is most people kind of make their first um, degree of wealth, if you like, from focusing on that one thing, getting that one idea really working. Doesn't mean you can't have multiple streams of income, but it means you focus on one entity, one area. The next place to go is to try and scale out that one area with acquisitions, which fit in the same market, but create scale within the area that you're already good at. So that might be buying your suppliers or buying your competitors and just creating a bigger entity of what you're already doing. It might be international expansion, that sort of stuff. And then what will happen though, eventually is you'll find that you just get good at business. You get good at understanding the various characteristics of great businesses. And then you can start to move out to be more of an investor. You'll also have the cash runway to do that. So you can start to then buy businesses which are maybe nothing in your, your niche or expertise, but that doesn't matter. You just know the, the fundamentals of how to build a great business and you can bring all the expertise in as part of the model. Brilliant. I love that. It reminds me a little bit about, um, I was speaking to Daniel Priestley about this uh, a few weeks ago. And um, it was it was about how you know if you're going to start another business or another venture or even you know acquire another business, it can either be a, a plus or a or a multiply, right? If it's if it's if it's vastly different to your to your other business, you got you got one business going on now. If you buy another business or start another business that's very that's very different, it's like a plus. You've now got two separate businesses. But if you've got if you've got one and you that's very similar to the one you're going to buy, it's like a multiply because it's you you, you can kind of piggyback off the success of the other one and it, it interlinks, right? Yeah, and that, and that you know, in the world of private equity, that's how that kind of works because we used to have the, um, the same one plus one equals three or even one plus one equals 10. Like, you know, yeah. the, point, the point being is it doesn't equal two. Yeah. And the whole idea of what we call a buy and build is yeah. where you have one platform business, one entity, one thing you start with, and then you bolt on all these other bits and pieces, but they give you the multiplier. And in private equity terms, that can sometimes double the value of the business if you triple it. And so you can you can make so much money from that. We sold we sold um, a business called Ascent Learning. I was part of part of that, and we sold that for fourteen times profit. Um, and that was that was over. Yeah, that was how two many, billion. How many different sections? How many different sections have bolted on? There was fourteen, fourteen businesses. Wow. But not all done at once. This is done over maybe sort of five to eight years. Yeah. But, but, you know, the, the hard part of that sometimes is to try and create a story around the 14 businesses. But if you can do that, then you can literally take the multiple up significantly and, and create a transform- transformational capital event, as we call it. And, and looking at this example, were they, were they businesses that were all very similar and they, they were creating that multiplier effect or were they businesses that were, that were quite different? They have complementary features because what doesn't happen is if you if you if you're sort of growing something to sell it, uh, the other person buying it obviously needs to see the value. So if it looks disparate, like they're just all these kind of just a group of companies and they don't work off each other or create what we call any synergy, either the ability to take cost out to be more efficient or the ability to serve a market in a certain way, then there's no real value on the multiplier. Yeah. So they have to, when you get really big, they have to have some sequence to them. But um, if they're very disparate, then then the value actually goes backwards. It can be degrading. And the best thing to do then is to break the group up and sell the component parts. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. brilliant. So, 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 so you're in this position. You've got a business. You're looking to have a bolt-on business to try and to begin building your empire. Where do you search? Where, does, where do you go to look for this initial um, business? 
Yeah, so right now is one of the best times set for this because, well, two things are going on. You've got obviously the COVID piece, which, you know, is it forces some people to look at their businesses again. And there are people who are, say, retirement age or they've had their businesses for 30 years and they've either run out of ideas or they just don't want to go through this again because it just takes, you know, effort to be able to kind of get the business back on track. So right now, if you're let's say you've got a successful business in manufacturing or something like that. There's a lot of businesses probably in your manufacturing niche, which will be um, not necessarily advertised for sale, but if you can reach out to you know, people in your network, competitors, and I'll, I'll go through how to do that in a sec, then you'd be surprised how quickly you can find deals. And a lot of those deals would be at a good price because of the market conditions. Right, yeah. So yeah, I, can, I can imagine a lot of people have been you know, spending the last 10 years getting cashed up ready for this. Yeah, and the other thing also is a lot of these deals go for quite cheap. So if you've got someone, again, who's probably retirement age, 60s or 70s, and they've, they've made money from their business for, again, 20, 30 years, the primary uh, reason for selling is not always money. Usually it's time because they're thinking, I just want to now go and sit on the beach and not have to worry about you know turning up every day and running my business. So you can buy a business for three to four times profit or sometimes even less. I've done deals where they're basically for zero, and I can explain how to do that. Um, but then if you bolt them together with your business and you have two or three of these, you could sell your business one day if it's got scale for six to ten times or more. Wow. So do you see the, the impact of the multiplier on that, which is incredible? Yeah, completely. It's, it's I mean, timing timing's vital, right? And just like, just you know, the, the, the situation in which you purchase just makes such a, such a big impact. I, I know a lot of people sort of, um, I would say, 50s to, to late 60s who have businesses and exactly like you said, you know, the whole in the whole industry has been shaken up. Do they really want to pivot their businesses online? That's gonna that's almost like restarting a business. The amount of energy and effort and time that's that would go into that, you know, would be so would be so much. I think I yeah. think yeah. they'll be they'll be more than happy to sell even at a discount. Yeah, absolutely. And as I said beforehand, you can do deals for little or no money. Um, it's not easy to do them. I would never want people to take me to go out there and find a deal. But it's, I have seen situations, and we've had one in particular, where someone's just said, I just want someone else to run the business. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they're prepared to kind of give it up as long as they've got um, a monthly income coming in. So you can pay the pay for the business off over years, like three to five years, and do it in a seller finance deal. So yeah. therefore, you're not bringing your own capital in. And that's a no-brainer. I've heard, I've heard of this. I've heard, I've heard of this this method in which you, you basically agree to buy a business, but you pay them back through the profits of the business, which you manage for them. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Every deal has a component of seller finance. It's very rare that these things don't happen in various ways. Yeah. What I'm seeing in the small business area is that the percentage of seller financing has gone up because of what's going on in the environment and the market at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, so there's a lot. Such an interesting, such an interesting topic, isn't it? It's, it's there's a lot in it, right? So it's hard to yeah. sort of talk about it like we are. There's probably people in the chat here going, "What the hell? This is like alchemy or something." But <laughs> the reality of it is, right? You know, it's it's there are many opportunities in how you grow a business and how you scale a business. It depends on what you're trying to achieve. But yeah. trying to do it just organically all the time you know, is not really the smartest way to do it. You need to build a foundation organically, you know, going after the right customers, right propositions, you know, right sales and marketing. But if you want to get into the empire world, then you are going to start to become more acquisitive and start looking at these more strategic options. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. So so, so right now, you're, are you working on any projects very, very similar to this or is it mostly your own stuff you're working on or are you, yeah, still, are you still helping businesses do this? Yeah, I, I sort of I put two separate separate parts of what we um, we do. We have our own investment, which is exactly what I was saying there. We look to buy businesses that are under leveraged, and then we um, come in and we basically um, apply a methodology of how to scale them up and grow them. Yeah, and we apply that same methodology to businesses, as I said before, that aren't growing as fast as the business leader, the entrepreneur would like. Mm. And we still do a little bit of work with private equity, whereby they might have some portfolio companies that are not on track, to put it underwater. And you know what's really interesting about this step is to go into a, um, a portfolio company backed by private equity and try and move it from underwater to being above the value they paid for it. The difference in the in, in the price of that and what we kind of can do is massive because the value change is huge. So we can be taking a difference from, let's say, worth $5 million, but actually needs to be $30 million. If you can show the pathway to that, that's a huge amount of um, growth for the private equity firm. 
Yeah, totally. You're, you're, I mean, yeah, huge, huge change. Yeah. Huge change. So, so I mean, in, in terms of, you know, private equity and that sort of stuff, if, if people wanted to learn more about that, are there any good books or, or podcasts or things that they can go and listen to or read? Yeah, well, the first book I always recommend around um, leverage buyouts and things like that is a book called Barbarians at the Gate. I'm not quite sure. I can't remember who it's by, but it's about the um, the biggest ever leveraged buyout in the in history. I think it was for billions. It was um, Nabisco, I believe. And that's a really interesting one around this kind of idea of strategic stuff. Um, but then, you know, obviously, I talk about it quite a lot on my podcast as well, Steph. So there's a piece where there's a whole heap of different uh, episodes dedicated to this sort of stuff as well. Yeah, definitely. what was the name of the, the podcast again? Scale up. Scale up your business. Yeah, so we can. Yeah, I've, I've been yes. listening to a few episodes this week. Brilliant, brilliant podcast, guys. Scale up your business and check it out. Really, really great. Number one, number one in the UK. Hundred thousand, hundred thousand downloads in the first. Yeah, it was number one in the UK. Number seventeen in the US. I didn't quite crack the top ten there. And uh, no worries. It's probably yeah, it's so many, so many derogatory comments about the US. In the, oh, in the first episode why? or something. No, I just, I just said there's a lot of fear for a Tony Robbins event. That's all I said. <laughs> no one can in, the, in the first sentence, the, first, the, first, no the opening line. <laughs> but um, yes, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, that's broadly what it is. But I, I think what's yeah. important for people to understand, though, you know, if someone's listening to this right now and they're going, oh, where am I? Where's my business? Mm. There are some characteristics which, I, which I'll share with, with the audience. I think it's important to understand that, yeah, right? Yeah, totally. I mean, I mean, that would be great to go to kind of to kind of give everyone a bit of an insight into your, you know, the, the way in which you you look at a business and analyze it, and what's your methodology for for you know that 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 rapid acceleration. Yeah, absolutely. Well, after looking at so many different businesses, I mean, the good thing about having the podcast is I've I've managed to interview some really really incredibly unbelievable entrepreneurs and business leaders who have done huge scale-ups themselves. I had a guy on the other day whose net worth is $500 million and he's got like his own empire that he's building. And the good thing about doing podcasts is, you know, it's the conversations you have outside of the recording. So, so I've got all of that stuff going on. I've, I've worked with literally hundreds of different businesses now on various parts of growth and scale-ups. And the six things that I kind of want people to kind of hear and then they can judge where they're at, so to speak. So the first thing is that Businesses that are on this kind of fast growth journey, they always have a compelling destination that they're clear on. So sometimes that's called a vision. And they have a plan to get there. So that's the first thing. A lot of you'd be surprised how many businesses don't really know where they're going and they haven't got a good enough plan. Yeah. Right. So that's the first thing that I kind of assessed. Is it good enough? Then then you've got to say, do they have the financial gearing to make that happen? So do they have a cash runway? Do they have enough cash reserves firstly to be sustainable so they're not worrying about any problems? Most of the businesses that we work with are very cash generative, but if they've got a big vision, they may not have the funding to be able to take it to where they want to take it. So the first thing is assessing what they've got to be able to do the first piece of this, but actually what are they going to, how they can fund the growth over the next two to three years to get to something which is transformational. Yeah. So that's the second piece. Third one is, do they have what I call a unique solution stack that solves a very clear quantifiable market problem? And we talk a bit about product ecosystems and things like that, and we have talked about it. But you've got to be able to have something in there which is, which is, you know, comes together in a, in a unified way, hence the reason they call it stack, that can solve a really, really clear problem. So, again, you'd be surprised how many businesses started with that and then the markets change. They haven't changed, which makes it all of a sudden they can come obsolete. Yeah, totally. It's 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 all about it's all about adapting with with the changes, right? Rolling rolling with the punches and uh <laughs> and, yeah, well, and I, I think that's such a really important. Wasn't the unique, the unique solution stack? To you, solve problem, yeah, unique solution. And your, you've got your be, methodology, isn't it? As, as yeah, as you've got to be changing that. Yes, yeah, so that's that. Then, then you get into the kind of commercial one. So the next one is um, having a predictable flow of customers driving recurring revenue. And there's two really key words in that: predictable. In other words, don't, don't worry or try and guess where your customers are coming from. Make that a predictable flow. Yeah. And recurring revenue is massively important. So that you're not always trying to just go out there and get deals. Um, so that's that's key. And then you get into the last couple. The sort of operational one is cross, like cross-functional systems and processes that work together like a business runs like a machine. Yeah. And the last one is, um, and I say, you know, I said don't, you know, work with dicks. Hire A players, hire rock stars, rock stars, and have a culture which is um, driven around value. I love that. I love that. So. Don't hire dicks, hire rock stars. Yeah, yeah. And that's a funny one, right? Because a lot of 
businesses that I work with, they still got their mates in the business and they might have had people there who were great at the beginning in the journey. Yeah. But when you go into scale-up, sometimes you need to clear out and bring different capability in. And that takes yeah. some really tough decisions and good leadership to make that happen. Definitely. The, the, the one just before that that point, cross-functional, could you go over that again, cross-functional? Yeah, so what I find is when you're going to scale-up, one of the definitions of scale-up is the ability to build teams. Hmm. And so you've got more complexity because, like, you know, you're going to have more people in the business or associated with the business. So that one's around making sure that everything runs like a machine. So you've got to have systems and processes that work across the various functions in a business. Yeah. So think of it like a, a set of cogs. If one cog's out of alignment, then the whole thing starts to break. Yeah. So my, my belief is you've got to make sure that you have those um, that sort of systems methodology in the business so that you understand the handoffs. And again, it kind of links into the last one said because if you've got really good, capable, high-caliber people, yeah. that actually increases the chance of those systems and those processes working better together. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. Brilliant. I love these points. These are these are really really great. Have, did, did, did you say you've written a book? Not yet. <laughs> How many? Not what's, yet. What's the word? What's the word count? What are we on? Oh, you know what the thing is, right? I start. I got up to about ten thousand words, and then I realised I needed to kind of just simplify it a bit. <laughs> <laughs> and then you switch to podcasts. There's a lot of podcasts going out there. I can talk a lot. No, I'm gonna. I want to make. You didn't, you didn't realize that this was just an accountability session. It's a really elaborate accountability session, Nick. <laughs> you know what? I want the book to be practical. I want the book to be. Practical. I want someone to be able to pick yeah. it up. Go, you know what? I can do these things. Yeah. And if I do these things with intention and with focus, I'm going to get on the path to fast growth. If that fast growth gets me to building an empire, that's awesome. Yeah. That's what I wanted to do. Yeah, I, I mean, I'd, I'd love, I'd love to sit down and read a book like this. You know, I'm kind of old school at that. Sometimes I like to, I like to pick up a book, write some notes on it, highlight bits, and you know, there's something, there's something about it. <laughs> well, I agree. There's a lot of war stories that I'm going to put in there as well, which talks about some of the deals. So, you know, you mentioned before. Oh, about, really? Yeah. Because yeah, I, I get more work, right? You know, there's 22 yeah. deals I've done over a decade, which gets that value of five billion dollars. But they haven't all been they haven't all been easy. I don't want people to think, oh wow, like you know, they're the Midas touch thing. Here. I've had yeah. some disasters in doing the deal. So I want to be able to share those stories as watch out as well. <laughs> yeah, no, that'd be brilliant. I mean, it'd be great to hear about that. You, you've you've um, spoken about many of those war stories in the uh, in the podcast, or? Yeah, I tell a lot of them. I talk a lot about the various things. I mean, one of the most popular ones um, I did a few months back now, probably last year actually, was um, advice that I would give myself as a 22-year-old, knowing now what I've done. And there's another one that's quite good, which is how to be, how to be a really um, impactful CEO. Yeah, right. And a lot of those draw on reflections of me having to go into businesses that need to either transition, turn around, or obviously um, get into a place of past growth. Yeah right. Was it, so so what was the? Can you give us a quick summary? What, what was it you would? What advice would you give your twenty-two-year-old self? I think that's a great question actually for a lot. Yeah, of it came. It was inspired actually by one of my listeners who said, "Listen, I, you know, they were in their early twenties, and they said, listen, if you were my age, what yeah. would you say to yourself?'" And I can't remember exactly the points I did, but I, I can. A lot of them are very similar to what we spoke about at the very beginning of this chat today, which is find something you're super passionate about. Right. And, and, and when you're passionate about something, I honestly believe you, things doesn't, it doesn't become work anymore. Yeah. You just get so engrossed in the topic that, that becoming really good at it becomes natural because it just feels, it feels natural. So one of the pieces was find out what you really love doing, really passionate about and try and make that sort of vocation also your kind of profession, your income. Um, it's a little bit like saying follow your dream, follow your passion, but I really do believe that now looking back in hindsight. Um, one of the other pieces of advice is get mentors, get people yeah, this, around. This was, a, this was a question I was going to ask you, actually. I'm glad you brought that up. What, what's, what's been the best sort of courses or mentors, apart from Tony Robbins? You're not, you're not allowed to say Tony Robbins. No, well, Tony Robbins. Tony you're, Robbins. Allowed, you're allowed to. You're allowed to. Right. Just joking. No, no, no. Listen, listen, I've never, he, he has been awesome for what I needed. But I, I don't yeah, sit there and one of these kind of junkies that says everyone needs to go to Tony Robbins. It's, it is for certain things, right? Um, no, for me... It, I always found that if, if, you can, if you can work out what you're trying to do first and foremost, that's kind of like the personal vision. So if I, I've said, look, I want to have an empire of businesses generating in the hundreds of millions, right? Mm. So in order to do that, I need to plot a path backwards. So I need to have milestones. So, you know, what's the first million look like? What does 10 million look like? And then it works from that. 
And then what I've, what I've done is I've said, okay, how am I going to do it? So for me, it's about getting very, very good at this kind of scale up and transition and one plus one equals three. And then I've gone out there and got people who are doing what I want to do, but are a few steps ahead. And I've paid them to, to help me accelerate where I am now to being as proficient and effective as they are. And so that, that to me has been the biggest transition. So it's not, there's been a little bit of reading and self-education around that, but it's been getting in a room with someone who's been there and done that and just saying, listen, I want to get from A to B as quickly as possible. You listen to what I'm trying to do and just pull it apart and help me put it back together. And that's been by far and away the most impactful thing in my, in my kind of journey um, around what I'm doing. Brilliant. Wow. I love that. It's, it's, very, it's very hard to have a conversation like this and not think visionary. Do you know what I mean? And, uh, and it's exactly the sort of conversations people should have when they're feeling, when they're feeling kind of bogged down with all the small things. And um, oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, know, I know a lot of people watching this or listening to this will, will, will be struggling with, with a lot of um, the, you know, the reality of what, of what this transition a lot of us going through right now is. Do you know what I mean? And, um, and hopefully listen, listening to this sort of stuff will, will give you that kind of moment to think long term. You know what I mean? That push, that push to kind of think a bit more about your legacy, about your vision, about what it is you could be achieving. Yeah, I, I have a 10-year vision set, right? 10-year vision. Uh, 20, 20 years. 20. And I know, Can you, do you mind sharing that with us? Yeah, I'm happy to. Yeah, so, so one of the things I want to do, and it's kind of inspired a little bit by, by Gary Vaynerchuk. I'm, I'm a massive um, fitness and sports person. And one, when I'm 65, for my sort of birthday present to myself, I want to buy the Boston Celtics. Oh, really? I love, I love this. <laughs> now, this is very Gary I love it. It is, but I, but I heard that. And I thought, you know what? When I first heard that, I thought my vision is not big enough, right? And I'm pretty yeah. good for it. Yeah. But I thought, here's, here's the thing that jumped into my head. It's not so much about having that much wealth, right? And Ferraris and whatever else and all that stuff. It's about what, what, what sort of journey would I need to be on and who do I need to become? What does my identity need to be like to sign that check? Yeah. Now, I even went as far as researching how much it's going to cost and well, how much the last day was, what yeah. the valuation is today, and then I'm trying to work out in 20 years. <laughs> Depends know, on how well they do, right? Well, yeah, even then, right, you know, there's going to be more wealth in the world and more competition for buying these things. But the point, the point is, like, what impact would I have had to have made on the world to be able to sign that show? Yeah, totally. And, 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 and honestly, I love that because you're, you're, you're not looking at this like wealth generation. You're looking at this like you know, impact generation. And it's like for, for you, in, in order for you to have a, a business which creates several hundred million a year, you will have to make an, an enormous amount of value. You'll have to produce an enormous amount of value in the world to generate that sort of return. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And I'm, I'm guessing that's kind of where your mindset's at with this, right? That's how you... It's about, making that difference. it's about making a big difference. And I, and I believe this kind of comes a little bit about the story I shared with you with my dad is someone said to me a while back that the cure for cancer could be in, in some, some child's head in a poverty-stricken part of the world. And back in 2013, I ran a ultra marathon called Comrades, yeah. which is um, in South Africa. You run from well, – the one I did was enough to run from Durban to Primitzburg, which is 87 kilometres in like 32-degree temperature. And halfway through the run, you run through the World Vision – camps where they've got all the orphan children right wow. and it's really it's like it's, I'm, I'm almost like, like i get i well up every time i, I remember because all the kids line up and they're smiling away they're trying to give you water they're covered in mud yeah. right their, their parents have either died or they're somewhere else they're left and all these kids are just smiling their eyes out right like smiling yeah. like you know trying to you know and and i'm thinking what happens if one of those kids could solve a really big thing in the world? But there's the problem is they're never going to get access to that sort of entrepreneurial mindset and mindset and skill set because it's just it's just not there. So I'm I'm what I want to do is I want to be able to bring those skills and bring that thinking and bring that kind of belief and all those different things that I've had the privilege of discovering to to, to kids like that to people in the world who just traditionally have not had access to it. Yeah. And that's me, that. the big mission, right? A big vision. And, and if I can yeah. do that, I, I, you know what? If I can then do that, I'm sure I'll be able to sign the check for the Boston Celtics because that will be a small part of that. Yeah. yeah. Really. Yeah, you know. amazing. I love that. T t tying yourself to a, to a massive vision and then, and then really going to town on that vision, right? Really having a, a detailed look at what that actually, what that actually vision is, what it needs, breaking that down, 
you know, de deconstructing it from the from the future backwards, like you said. And then looking, looking at looking at those milestones and looking for mentors at each milestone who's done the next milestone, right? Precisely. And, and the mentors, you grow out of mentors. And it's quite, it's quite yeah. cool to say that one person who got me to this place is not the person for the next step. Yeah. But, but I believe that if I can help people create empires, and of course, a, a large percentage of that is going to be investing back into this vision, you know, through a foundation and other different pieces, then I can make a massive difference. So by helping people become successful through this idea of an empire, I can create the empire I'm building, but I can go and make a bigger impact. So that's how it all works. Brilliant. I love that. That's, that's such good advice. It really is. It really is. I think whenever, whenever I've been really detailed on my planning, and, I, and it's something I, I try and do, you know, I, I'm, I, I tend to really plan things in detail, especially visions in the future, two to three to five to 10 years. Probably, probably not, probably not, prolifically more than five years um, but but certainly after this conversation is I'll, I'll, I'll certainly look back at that and see if I can think longer term um, it's hard what, to I, do, what I found is things change so quickly you know <laughs> well this is but this is the thing I, I when I when I work with someone I say you know I actually advise them to have a five-year vision yeah um, but then we work in annual goals but then we work in a thing called 90-day cadence because again, what a lot of people do is they'll have annual goals, but then they give themselves this kind of idea they've got 12 months to deliver it, but they don't have enough focus and intention. So if you get into the 90-day cadence, then actually achieving the goal becomes inevitable because you're scheduling stuff every day and every week to make that happen. Yeah. So it's funny. All of these things become free. down into 90 days. Yeah, you can. Well, why not? And, and like okay, so, so the, other, the other challenge around that would be... Um, you know, the industries are still so disrupted right now. How how can you really plan five years accurately or even semi-accurately when, you know, your, your industry may not be running as it was for, for another year or two? Yeah, you do it as a, this is, this is the difference between say annual planning and having a personal vision. Right. So I, I often say that when people come to me, more often than not, they're not really worried about the business. They're worried about what the business is gonna give them. So the business is a resource. Yes. So what they really want is freedom. Yeah, they want time freedom. They want money freedom. They want the ability to do what they want when they want, whoever they want. So I say, create a five-year vision for that. So what do you, what do you want to be doing? Do you want to be on a yacht somewhere? Do you want to be mentoring people? Do you want to have a real estate empire business for hundreds of millions? What do you want, right? And then and then we go into annual. And say, okay, so what needs to happen this twelve months to progress you on the pathway to that vision? So we don't make it that you have to have a type. But the 12 month plan is tight. And then the 90 day cadence is is almost like prescriptive to hell, like down to what are you doing Monday at 6 a.m. that moves you towards your 12 month goals, which is moving you towards your five year vision. And it sounds really crazy, but if you do that and you have the discipline and again the intention around that, it becomes inevitable that you start to achieve those big things. Brilliant. Nick, absolutely amazing advice, mate. Really, really great. I think I think a lot of people are going to really enjoy this. I'm mad. Um, this interview, this guy, this crazy dude. This is crazy dude. <laughs> I've loved it. A really, really amazing, amazing contribution. Thank you so much, mate. And um, one thing I was going to ask you is, I know, I know I know that you do webinars and that sort of stuff, um, and I know you do them. You know, fairly big webinars for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, hundreds at a time. Is there any way you would be willing to offer, I don't know, 10 people in our community um, an exclusive webinar, um, which you know you can take them through this kind of process a little bit more? Is that something yeah. you might be able to offer? No, absolutely, absolutely. I think anyone who, I mean, and, and the caveat is this, right? And this is an important question to put out there. If you really truly have an ambition to build an empire, and based on the what I've said today, and like, you know, you're prepared to kind of really listen and take some advice of what that means, then I'm absolutely happy to serve. Because I think it's a big decision, but if that excites you and you're passionate about it and understand the reasons why that's a choice, then yeah, absolutely happy to do that for sure. Amazing, legend. I will, uh, I'll do a post on the group. Um, and as I, as I do sometimes guys, when we do a special offer like this, um, if you write I'm in, perhaps you will get a, uh, a shot. You can't write I'm in yet, Stuart. You've got to wait. I haven't, I haven't given the official, we haven't officially <laughs> launched Stuart, Stuart. Now, there's right. only, now there's only nine places left. You've got to give me a second, guys. Reward. <laughs> you always reward something <laughs> you take action. 
what I say. Reward action. So Stuart, Stuart. Yeah, Stuart right. Okay. Do you know what, Stuart? Let's, we'll make it. We'll make it a. We'll make it a one-person webinar now. So Stuart's got all the spots. <laughs> Everyone's like, I want to build an empire. No, I want to build an empire. Okay, cool. <laughs> On, guys i hope you um i hope you enjoyed that nick that was absolutely amazing mate um really really appreciate you coming on uh, what was the name of the podcast one more time so scale up your business so you can search for that on all the news channels uh, apple Podcasts, spotify all that sort of stuff awesome stuff and if these guys want to connect with you any other way what's the best way to connect yeah two, two other things i've got um the scale up your business community on facebook which is a free resource there's about about 1500 2000 people in the group now and they kind of just help each other i join the group and a lot of the questions that go into my monday night lives and things like that come from the group so i encourage you to join that and if people want to reach out to me directly the best way to do is just you know usually through linkedin or through um through that community um, just message me and stuff like that. And I try and get back to everyone. Can't promise it's always straight away with different stuff, but I, I always get back to everyone um, as quickly as I possibly can. Amazing. Nick, thank you so much, mate. Really appreciate you coming on, buddy. No, no worries, man. Awesome. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, always great to chat with you. Thank you. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. If you want to be the first to get access to our live interviews, then head over to f10x.com to apply to be a part of our online community. 